Welcome back to another episode of Tech Talk. Today, we're going to be talking about fintech versus traditional banking, Coinbase IPO, and burnout. So, Alyssa, a couple weeks ago, I think it was last week, JP Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon said, fintech is an enormous competitive threat to banks. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, in terms of its growth rate, I think that that's something that's notable to look at. I'm just in Q1 of 2021. Um, fintech as an industry went up 39% um, in funding. So I think that it's still on the rise just looking at the amount of capital that's being infused into it. But at the same time, as of late of 2020, only 7% of the traditional banks globally started creating their own mobile platforms. So it seems as though a lot of uh, financial institutions that are traditional don't feel the threat which does seem surprising to me, but I think on the one hand, the security that you get going with an actual bank like FDIC insurance, and especially when you're dealing with large amounts of money, that individuals still feel hesitant to uh, use fintech as opposed to the traditional banks because of the security aspect to their money. Fintech is a, a weird definition. Like, What do you define as fintech? You think Apple is consumer electronics, consumer goods, but I could also describe them as fintech because they were sitting on so much money, they decided to make up a credit card and start lending out money to their users. I think anybody who has an app interface to their clientele, rather than going inside a bank, sitting down in your Wells Fargo, your Bank of America, is considered fintech. My go-to for this is, I will say, Rocket Mortgage. I think Rocket Mortgage is the fintech company that always comes to mind personally because I think they were only came out in 2015. They were started by Quicken Loans as like a, a platform to be an app interface for users to find a home, get money, pay their mortgage, stuff like that. As of 2021, as of today, they're valued at $45 billion dollars. It's really just five years of them starting and going out and pushing into this industry of mortgage, mortgage companies, lending companies. And in six years, five years, they've seen such incredible growth because their interface is very simple, very easy to use compared to going in and talking to someone. Because unfortunately, in today's world, we have incredibly short attention spans and We've learned very poor communication skills when talking to people face-to-face because everything we do is through a technical medium of Skype, Zoom, phone call, text, all these messaging platforms. I think fintech does incredibly well because they're very simplified and minimized interfaces to get what people want out of it, getting their financing for whatever and paying people Easily. If I'm sending someone money, it's like a wire transfer instead of going to the bank with my uh, check. Granted, I think that with our gener, I think with Gen Z and millennials that they are pretty tech savvy. Honestly, I'm not a tech savvy person and I don't know what percentage of uh, this generation is tech savvy. But if there is a large proportion that is not I personally do not like doing everything over a mobile interface and over my phone. I much prefer to go into a bank or get on the phone with a human. 
to try to sort something out in my financials. And uh, for me personally, I understand how not having to drive somewhere reduces time, but talking to a person in my experience is a lot more efficient uh, for me at least than having to go through a mobile interface and try to understand all the technological components. And then I think there's also opportunity to make a mistake when you're trying to do it all yourself over a mobile interface, as opposed to having an expert who's actually doing the transaction side of things for you, because not everyone goes to school to complete transactions and finance. And it's not as simple as I think these apps try to make it. It's a good thing they try to make it simple, but it's not as simple as it seems on a surface level. So having the expertise of a traditional bank, I just don't think you can get that currently with a lot of the fintech platforms. Like if you look at Robinhood and you compare how people invested in Robinhood versus going through a wealth management bank portion of a bank, it's a lot different in how you're investing your money and the strategy you're doing. And a lot of people don't have the expertise to be successful investors, which is why so many individuals lost money um, during the recent volatility. And there was a class action suit against Robinhood. Robinhood being a fintech company, I think PayPal, Venmo, Stripe, they've done really well in process transactions. Whatever vehicles that uh, traditional banking makes money off of, I think of 2% management fees. I think of 18% 18% fees when you don't pay your um, credit card bill within the month or the two months period. And now it's, you you charge 0%. Now it's, we do 0.0001 off of whatever transaction you've just made. And the zeros behind the decimal place start to stack up. FinTech is very disruptive. And I think Jamie Dimon of JP Morgan Chase is very smart as well. I won't discredit him being working at a traditional bank, but I think he knows what he's saying when fintech is going to disrupt traditional banking and everything else along with it. It already has been. I think I think that if it actually becomes a threat that big banks will just transition to having a mobile interface and there is something to loyalty with banks and I think that people are typically pretty loyal to the banks that they use frequently like if we're thinking about bulge bracket banks like bank of america and wells fargo i i mean on the borrowing and lending side i thought that was a fascinating idea just to make it easier to borrow and lend by just doing it peer-to-peer instead but when you look at the rates the interest rates for a lot of these loans in fintech they're like significantly higher. So one of the biggest companies I would say in the peer-to-peer lending services is called Funding Circle. And uh, um, granted, that's more on the uh, business side as opposed to individuals needing money, but it's um, typically lending to small and medium-sized businesses pooling money. But for Funding Circle, the cost of the loan is typically like your interest rate that you're gonna have to pay back at is in the range of 7% to 33% per annum, which is like, I think extremely high compared to traditional banks. And uh, in terms of the competitive landscape between traditional banks and FinTech, I think that traditional banks are kind of dipping their toe in the water, anything through strategic ventures. So it's very it's really commonplace now i would say for 
Fortune 500 companies to have essentially a venture arm of their corporation. And uh, with that, they create a fund essentially to invest in complementary businesses, but businesses with too much risk to fully acquire them. So they get those minority stakes. And you've seen that across the board with Bank of America and uh, um, Wells Fargo and all the big banks. You, you really see them in uh, terms of their investing history and their investing in getting these minority stakes in uh, startup fintech companies. And I see in the future, if those companies end up being successful, that the bigger banks would just end up fully acquiring them, buying them out entirely and putting them under their brand to mitigate the competition. So I think that's the direction it'll go in. So I'm going to say shifting into our our next conversation on like Coinbase IPO, it kind of blends in pretty well. Coinbase had a direct listing and that skips the middleman of Wall Street. And I, I consider Wall Street a bit of traditional banking in terms of JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs. And they don't take... Uh, go through big banks to give them their shares to list out. They just do it themselves. They just say, all right, here are shares we are willing to sell. Or here are shares we're willing to raise capital with. And them doing that, skipping Goldman, skipping JP Morgan, doesn't allow them to, doesn't allow Goldman or JP Morgan to get the money in the middle. And so in terms of being able to skip the middleman there it's not like a deliberate like hey we're getting we're taking down traditional banking it also helps the company ipoing but this is fintech literally skipping traditional banking and saying we don't need you coinbase is very similar to how i i see fintech it's managing transactions what are your thoughts on that Alyssa? i think that coinbase's decision to ipo sorry to be blunt and kind of aggressive but it's the stupidest strategic move they could do in my opinion because uh, coinbase is i would say the predominant financial uh, fintech middleman when it comes to cryptocurrency i've heard from a friend speaking on behalf of a friend i remember in high school that many individuals would use coinbase originally when it first started um gaining traction use it to purchase fake identification and use it to purchase things in the gray market essentially and i think that while cryptocurrency is changing in terms of its use it's especially being used for as an investing purpose to be honest um and as a transactional record in some industries but the there is a side of i think crypto and how coinbase function that was predominantly in this gray market and IPOing, I think that's just going to increase the regulation in surrounding them. It will increase how bound they are to the regulations by the SEC and the IRS. So I don't think it's a wise move from a business perspective in terms of how their company has historically functioned. I'm going to clarify. I'm not such friend. However, I did have Coinbase in high school because I was like, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, that's kind of cool. Like, quirky like stuff what 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 does this actually mean like it wasn't as cool of a investment idea i wasn't like super big in putting money down until like after i graduated high school but i i learned of 
Bitcoin when it was like five dollars. That's probably a, a good thing considering you were a high schooler that probably had no knowledge of investing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's super good. Um, and I think uh, in terms of regulation, when regulation like sets in for Coinbase, when I first downloaded the app, I remember you just had to upload a picture of your ID and that was it. And now I I logged in. I bought like twenty five dollars or a worth of Bitcoin. It wasn't much at the time, so I was like, "That's what I'm gonna do." I let's see what happens next. Um, the other day, uh, I redownloaded Coinbase on my phone, logged in, and there was a bunch of stuff it asked me to do, and I was like, "I don't remember this. I don't remember a lot of this." It also asked for like like your social security number if you were. Um, trying to get to different stages of managing money and how much money you can have in your account, which is a good thing for them now that they're shifting into being able to bank, I guess. It's not really banking. It's rather just transactions. And now I'm imagining if you were to sell your Bitcoin uh, or cryptocurrency that you're getting charged on the capital gains of it because your social security number is attached to it. They're now a publicly traded company. They, they filed with the SEC. There's a lot more going on with it. How I think Bitcoin succeeds is if it gets actual application and we're not exchanging Bitcoin for cash. That's when you get to the point where Bitcoin's an actual currency. But if you exchange your Bitcoin for US dollar or any other fiat currency, then you can't say cryptocurrency is like the future if you're just going to exchange it for cash. And if you are using it as an actual currency, like that's the only way I see it succeeding. You have to use it as an actual currency. You go to the restaurant, you pay for your food using Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever. Um, you scan the barcode or the QR code and you deposit your your cryptocurrency into the the restaurant's virtual wallet. Um, that's how Coinbase accounts are set up. They're virtual wallets and so that your Bitcoin is stored. It's like their accounts. But it's the, the ease of access of being able to scan a QR code, send you some uh, cryptocurrency, and the time difference, the ease of access here is two seconds. There is no regulation on this transaction whatsoever. It's like two days for depositing a check for your landlord. I don't think that Bitcoin will ever overtake currency and uh, gain the role of currency in the US or globally. I think that instead, I think it'll function largely because of its blockchain technology. And uh, I think the transportation industry, honestly, and uh, even as a recording, like a transactional record technology um, to uh, verify, certify transaction records. And then I think in the transportation industry, for uh, verifying and tracking shipments um, because of the blockchain technology it uses. But I don't see it ever going down the currency path. I think that cryptocurrency by itself is going to become outdated at some point in time. And I think that what's going to supersede is that blockchain chain technology and different functionalities. I think Bitcoin is itself right now and all the other cryptocurrencies is in a massive bubble because it's so hyper-pumped and I'm waiting for the huge collapse of uh, everything to happen 
just like the first ever tulip bubble. Daisy tulips. Daisy tulips? No. Dodge tulip bubble. Way to bring it full circle. That's my, my final thoughts. I'm so excited to talk about burnout. Do you want to continue? What are your thoughts on it? Consumes my life. No. I mean, you know, I just think that the competitive pressure that is put on individuals in the 21st century, which, I mean, when you talk to older individuals, you know, people that are boomers, people that are Gen X, when you talk to them about what it was like coming out of college, coming out of high school even, and the job market, and what was expected of them in society, I think it is there's such a large disparity between the expectations on individuals born prior to the 2000s and individuals born after the 2000s in terms of the expectations that society and oftentimes parents now place on you to succeed when the competitive landscape to that success is so much more difficult than it was 50 years ago. Just looking at college acceptance rates, like USC, for example, we used to have a 76% acceptance rate 40, 50 years ago. And nowadays it's like 15% for the undergrad or less. I'm not sure. I haven't really checked, but it's just the competitive pressure to succeed in a heightened competitive environment is it leading so many individuals to burn out at a really young age. And I think that's going to continue until the pendulum swings back at some point. There's many things that cause burnout. And I, I don't think it's like a, once you experience it, you're done, you're down for good. Like it's permanent burnout. I think after working or uh, going to school, there's a lot of things that happen where you're like, you're done, you're done with it. Experience the stress of you need grades to get to this point. And then once you're at that point, you need something else. There is always something else you have to chase afterwards. Um, I know in high school, it's grades matter. They're super important if you want to get into a good college. And then in college, it's like grades matter. And um, again, I graduated college a couple of weeks ago. Post-graduation, I had like a, I didn't say a burnout, a little early life crisis. Uh, I don't know if that's a proper thing, but I thought, what have I done previous to this? I think we go to school for 18 years for, for if you're going up to high school. If you want to go to higher education, go to college, then you're going to school until you're 22. It just didn't make sense to me. My goal in life is hit 100 years old. I think 20% of your life going to school, being told grades matter, we're basing everything you know off of uh, a test and we're going to wait tests way harder than everything else why do they matter i get to that point i think if you have the continual pressure to that you need to chase something else that is not good i don't put pressure on myself anymore i'm like if anyone tells me anything else matters i'm going to know at the end of it it doesn't i think when it, it's going to matter when i actually feel that it matters without someone else applying pressure and i think when we're, we're told Grades matter, something else matters, your extracurriculars, everything else matters to get to the next step. You're continually told you're, you're chasing something else. There's no rest periods on the way. You got weekends. I think living for the weekend, having two days out of the week that you like out of the seven is not healthy. 
let's say Monday through Friday, you have work, you work your nine to five, you go to school, whatever regular school hours used to be in high school and elementary. And then you have Saturdays and Sundays to enjoy life, to figure out what you enjoy. Maybe I come from a place where I think education is a bit different, where I think there comes a point where we're going to school for 22 years. That is not a good thing. That's like for very few people, that is one-fifth of their lifespan. I I am a big school person. I love school. And honestly, I think I'd be happy just being in classes for the rest of my life. Like, if there was no grade attached to a class, I think it'd be fascinating to just be in some utopian universe where you just learned for the rest of your life about different subjects. But for me, I think that college and education functions not only as you know this standardizing system to rank you against other people going into the job market but I think that it does contribute to growth as well on a personal level that I don't think I would be successful in the professional landscape especially well in law of course you have to have a a law degree for most places, but um, I don't think that I would be as business savvy or have the people skills in professional development if I didn't go through a university system first. I think a lot of people do benefit from school, and I'm not going to say I didn't, but I will say the value that we've placed on school has been when you're younger, like when you're told college matters, you got to get good grades for college, you think, damn, school must be super important. I want to learn a lot from it. And you get there. Now I'm looking back and I'm like, I don't, I don't think I learned too much. I'm not to belittle people who struggle with school, but I was like, this seems super easy. I feel like if I were to been asked this question, I would have known to do that. There were times where it's like, oh, this is a new way of thinking about things. This is something new to me. This is another thing that's pretty cool. One of my roommates, he said, this had been really cool, but I feel like I talked about my feelings way too much in these classes. That is kind of not too important. That is a interesting way to put it. Four years of it, the scale at which it was, was overhyped to me. The value that it provided was overhyped to me. And I get that is different for everybody. And I hope it actually is. I know that it does actually help people way more than it will have helped me. I felt like I didn't have anything else under my belt um, experience-wise. Because when you're looking for jobs, it's you're always being compete, compared against everybody else. Which, yeah, once you start doing that to yourself and comparing yourself to everybody else, that's when it, that's when it hits hard. Because um, you think, damn, we went to school. I didn't care about grades too much once I realized they meant nothing. If anyone looks at your grades, it means they have no idea what they're actually doing. They think, oh, everyone else values this. We should value it too. Basing anything off of grades is, is bad. And this is going back to the burnout where it's like you're putting too much pressure to value grades. I've had many conversations with friends who thought grades are the only thing that matter. And I'm, I get to the point where I, I don't think that way. I think if you value grades to such a high level, you're going to experience that burnout. You're going to experience the, I need to chase this. I need to chase this. I need to chase this. When can you stop and take a break? When can you stop and look at your surroundings and enjoy what is life around us? We're not here forever. 
I think that's why it's so <clears throat> important to um to go down a career path and find a job that you love doing. I think that that's the key to not burning out because going through undergraduate school and then going to law school for me, it's like it it does have that feeling. It's like you're always killing yourself to attain this success later on. And it's like everything you're doing to kill yourself to get that success later on. I don't think it's worth it if whatever you want to do afterwards, you're going to be doing the same thing and you're never going to be happy just doing what you're doing. And to be honest, I do love school. Like I'm just kind of a, I don't know, book nerd, intellectually curious person, I think. So I really like school and there are times where, you know, you take classes like Russian art history and I'm like, why am I killing myself spending 10, 15 hours just within a two day period studying for some quiz in this class that's not going to matter at all. But I think that there is something to education where it forces you to learn about things that you wouldn't otherwise learn about, which aside from the grading, I think broadens individuals' minds a lot and allows people to see other perspectives, which clearly is important in the current political and fake news landscape. But I think that always working towards something and never being content is not the way to go about it. And going into a career that you love, I think, is the key to feeling like all that work and always working for something else. You don't feel that because you love what you're doing in that career path, regardless of where you're at in it. Absolutely. I think that that was the point I kind of missed when I was just saying where you have to be content with what you're doing. And I will say also, I'm one person. That doesn't mean people can't enjoy school. And I didn't enjoy school. I'll I'll be honest. I'm like, this is kind of a waste of time. I wish I was working. I wish I was learning on a job or something like that. Um, And I think I I find more contentness with that or more happiness in that because I feel like I'm actually doing something instead of sitting in a classroom or sitting at my computer just staring at things. There's probably people in the middle who, who are content with both, but I was not content with school. I'm very content with working. And I think it's going to be cheesy, but if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life is absolutely true. I don't think it's true. It's not true because you're going to have days in almost any career path with the exception of artsy career paths. And, you know, even in artsy career paths, I think that this would be like it. But in like white collar careers, you could love what you do. Like you could love your job as an attorney. My dad loves his job, like never wants to quit. I think he'll work till he dies. But regardless of that, even if you love your job, you're gonna have days, especially in the early side of your career, where you're doing something you don't want to do. And you're gonna be like, you know, your boss gives you this busy work or whatever. And you're like, you know, this is not what I signed up for. I don't want to do this. This isn't the job I want. I want to be higher up. So I have more control and autonomy over what I'm doing, the cases I'm working on. I think that there's points in every career where you're going to do something that you're not stoked about, 
but that's that's part of being a professional i think an adult and having to work in the real world that's when it gets into there's going to be two days out of the week that are bad out of the seven instead of five days out of the week that are bad out of seven if you if your best days are saturday and sunday that's messed up a couple weeks ago like for a good four or five months my favorite days were monday through friday I would say I was very ambitious to look at numbers go up and down as stocks are moving. And I was like, Monday through Friday, that was fun. That was, I get to see my account go up. I get to see it go down. And I was happy both directions. I was super happy with that. Now, that, now we're talking about burnout because I, I was feeling burnout. I, that, that's why I'm, we wanted to talk about burnout today. And I think you got to get to the point where more days are better than they are worse. And yes, uh, if you are working your way out, I think whatever job I find uh, next, it's not going to be all five days of the week are going to be fun. But I think the less amount of days that are bad, the better the job is, the more happy you are with life, the more content you are. That's awesome. That's, that's what I want. That's why I think if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. It's cheesy, not explicit metaphor. But I abide by it. I think that's pretty fun. I think my closing thoughts on it are along the same lines. There's going to be days where you hate your job. There's going to be days that you do not enjoy what you got tasked with for the day. But I think that if the big picture goal, you never stop loving that, you love the big picture of the career that you're in, then you will always be content with what you're doing and feel that sense of fulfillment. And I'm only 21, so what do I really know? But that's my perspective on it right now. Uh, I got to get better at editing stuff and getting out on time because that, that was also the side effects of me saying, feeling burnout. I was like, what am I doing? Why am I editing these? Why? I delayed a little bit. But... Hopefully we get back on track and we're going to double down. Thanks for tuning in this week. Have a good one.